0: Welcome to Films in the Wilderness, a four-week limited podcast series during Advent 2021, brought to you by the Diocese of Southern Ohio. I'm Carl
1: Stevens, And I'm Jed Deering, and I'm excited to have a friend from seminary, the Reverend Tamara Tucker, who's now serving with The Crossing in Boston, a church whose primary ministry is providing a welcoming worship space for LGBTQIA plus folks. And aside from uh, your love for a good mixed gin and tonic, uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to share in introducing yourself, Tamara?
2: Yeah, I'll just say, first of all, my pronouns are she, her, hers. And uh, as a queer woman priest who has married another queer woman pastor, uh, it's fun to to get to talk about uh, queer Christianity because it's such a hard thing to find that niche for so many people. Um, and other than a, a, good gin and tonic, I think, um, my wife and I are just massively consumed with K-dramas right now. So, uh, we, we can, uh, have another conversation about K-dramas later.
0: <laughs> what K-dramas? Korean dramas? Korean is dramas yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: There was a late night Korean pop station that would air over broadcast in Berkeley. I don't know if you ever caught that or if you had bunny ears on your TV like I did, but (laughs) something like, you know, like 48.4, you would get late night K-pop for like four straight hours and Rain and I would just sit up watching it and it was was the best, but never, never delved into the dramas.
2: I love that so much.
1: Well, our
0: movie today is Happiest Season, which came out in 2020, and it is directed by Clea, I think is how you say her first name, last name Duvall, starring Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. And Mary Steenberger and uh, Victor Garber and my my fave uh, Mary Holland, but also Allison Brie, um, and I I am tasked with giving a brief synopsis of the movie. I will say to the be to the listener right at the start that this is an entirely spoiler filled. Podcast. So if you haven't seen Happiest Season and you want to know who ends up with who, uh, go watch it first, because we will tell you. And if you haven't <laughs> seen it, you might be sad. Uh, sad <laughs> that we're telling you, not sad by who ends up with who. Um, but the, the, it's it's a holiday movie, and it's really a romantic comedy, sort of, kind of, sort of. Uh, one of the questions we might ask is um, whether it's more about the family or more about the actual romance uh, at the heart of it. Um, but it begins with our main characters, Abby and Harper, going on a Christmas walk through this beautiful decorated neighborhood. And Harper loves Christmas, and Abby is ambivalent about it. And Harper convinces Abby to come home for Christmas with her family, which she agrees to do. And then when they are approaching Harper's family home, Harper tells Abby that Harper is not out yet, that she is closeted as far as her family is concerned. And part of the the drama or the stakes of the movie is that her father, Ted, is running for mayor. And uh, we'll get into this, but it is a strangely Hallmark-esque uh, town where apparently mayoral elections cost over $100,000 and where being out is not acceptable, um, which might be a... a a confusing part of the movie, but we can talk about that. Um, But that is where the tension comes in Abby and Harper's relationship. Um, And there are many side characters, including Harper's two sisters, uh, Sloane and Jane. Sloane being a uh, high-functioning, very high-maintenance person, and Sloane, or Jane, rather, just being a spaz. Uh, My favorite character, I will say right now. So there we are. That is the synopsis. Jed, you want to take it from there and give us a reading?
1: Absolutely. The reading that we are uh, pairing with the film today is our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures of Zephaniah, chapters 3, verse 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home, at that time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Here ends the reading. So as we are entering into a week three of Advent here uh, and with these texts uh, in this week that is often associated with joy and we come to a movie like Happiest Season, I wonder, um, Carl and Tamara, for the two of you, where you see themes or connections between this text from the scriptures and Happiest Season.
2: I can jump in, yeah. Some of the themes uh, that I was picking up... um, there's this question actually uh carl you mentioned it a moment ago this question of family or romance um and i think that this this passage and this film are both dealing with chosen family um obviously the contexts are like wildly different we can't actually compare (laughs) uh those those two (laughs) different contexts and yet uh (laughs) this is a podcast where we're gonna play with that um, the, the balance between grief and celebration, um, the, the hope of restoration. Um, and I, I actually think timing is a, big, um, is a big theme too. So I don't know. Carl, what do you think?
0: I, I agree with all of that. I also think um, this is a movie, like many of the movies we seem to have picked for this film festival, that is about people trying to find their own integrity and their own authenticity. Um, and I think, you know, the, the Old Testament is not maybe really concerned about um, individual integrity and authenticity. Those are probably 20th, 21st century American concerns, which we can read back into the Bible. Um, but when we do so, I think it is fair to say that finding one's integrity is, uh, is a recovery. It's a moment of gladness. It's a form of rejoicing and renewal when one can do that. And so that the reading speaks
1: to that, I think. I wonder, Tamara, when you're when you're talking about timing, what are you what are you speaking into there? Any scenes from the movie in particular or anything that jumped out to you?
2: Yeah, there's this connection with uh, the the scripture reading of like at that time and at that time. And it creates this sense of waiting Hmm. Um, like, okay, it's going to be at that time. But when is that time? And this question towards the end of the movie, when um, when Harper is being challenged with coming out, uh, and isn't ready. And then Dan Levy has that great speech at the end. That's, that's like, it's somebody's coming out is, is only about them and when they are ready. So there's this battle of timing of, of it always being too late. Uh, and, and yet, and and never soon enough. Uh, and yet like we still wait and we're still in the waiting and we're still in that time of preparation. So, um, so I think that there are some big draws there.
1: So I I really loved that speech and uh it was pretty convicting for me actually in the moment and also then I think I still wrestle with it. Uh and and but I don't know how to explain why. So I think for me um you know at first in the story there I'm like pretty firmly on Abby's side. and the sense mm-hmm. of like oh you've been deceived. <laughs> now you've mm-hmm. been asked to lie like Put yourself back in the closet, make yourself less than, be treated as less than who you are. Um, all, you know, all of all of these pieces along the way. And I'm, you know, pretty much like, go, <laughs> you know, get out.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Um,
1: leave, leave now. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then after after that speech, it's like, oh, that is true, that is good. And and then for me, there was still the piece with what it means, um when your own choices and journey run up against the reality of with a partnership with somebody else and mm-hmm. the complexities when you, when you can no longer make choices that are simply about yourself, as if any choice is simply about yourself. We know that not, not true right. narrative. And yet, um, just running that that challenge running up against that in there. And and knowing too that Abby was also ready to take this relationship to a whole nother level by proposing marriage. <laughs> so yeah. certainly yeah. like Abby is even more consciously deeply invested in this relationship at this point. And so the decisions that they both make, but um Abby's desire in mentioning the family to for it to be very participatory, even participating in the old patriarchal games that uh her friend played by dan levy makes fun of <laughs> you know with asking the father for blessing and this but she was she was ready for public participatory relationship which harper mm-hmm. wasn't yet and right. and just the, those challenges i thought i i liked that they left with some with some complexity in there and some ways to really see things from both sides even as the movie unfolded
0: I think it's interesting to talk about public here. And I want to preface this by saying I really like this movie and I was the one who pushed for it to be on the roster. Um, But so if I'm going to offer some criticisms, just know that they are made in love. Right. Um, But the the public eye is a really interesting one within the movie because of father's mayoral campaign means that he is always conscious of it. But it it really feels like it goes back further than that. Like everyone in this family has been taught to be p- conscious of conscious of the public eye since birth, um, and they're always performing. Uh, although who they're performing for is something of a question. Um, it's some it's some ideal audience that will acknowledge their achievement and their status and everything else. Um, which makes them a very, in some ways, a very sick family system, right? Like they're not healthy at all. And so for for Abby to want to do something performative is in itself maybe a transgression, even if it had nothing to do with their sexuality, right? Just to perform in this family means to raise the stakes to a level that is so high that it will break you. And that becomes clear pretty quickly. Um, I forget what the thing, when, when they arrive at the house, what is the first thing? Uh, oh, um, like the mom played by Mary Steenberger uh, does something like she touches Harper's cheek or something and she says something about coconut oil, right? <laughs> like she's, she, they are being observed and monitored at all times for for perfection, really. Yeah. And with that. Yeah,
2: I I think that though that like I don't I don't think that Abby fully understood what she was getting into when they were go when she understood that, you know, she was she was performing on and agreeing to perform on on some level of this like uh, first of all just the level of like asking for a blessing. Um and then second of all like to go back into the closet or to like hide um <sighs> John, uh, the character, John Dan Levy's character, uh, has that line of like, uh, there's nothing more erotic than concealing your authentic selves. <laughs> like, uh, it's like game that you're playing this, this performance that you're doing. Um, so there is like a level that she was, that was consensual, but I don't, think that she actually knew how dysfunctional or knew like to the level, to the degree in which um, she was being asked to perform and play into this game.
0: Yeah. Because when Harper is away from her family, she's not like that, right? She's not performative in that way. It's something about the world of the family, which twists and corrupts the, you know, her authenticity as a person. And it's, it is, it's, Partially about her sexuality, but that Tamara, I'm really curious. Like, I know one person who is not out to his family right now because they're very conservative Christians.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Religion doesn't really come into this movie at all, so it's very hard to tell why they are. Why would it, it would be a problem for her to be out? Like, how did how did you feel about that aspect of the movie?
2: Yeah, it's kind of strange, but uh, but I guess where are they? Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, a suburb of Pittsburgh.
2: Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, where, where this like image and conservativeness is just peak, right? I um, I found I found it really fascinating. Uh, the dad's um kind of hook for his campaign was family tradition and faith, and so there is this like, it's kind of like cultural religion and not actual religion um, and cultural li- religion just being comprised in the the idea of faith but not necessarily the action of faith or any kind of relationship with faith, but this again this performative nature of of faith that's just on the outside. Um, and I think that that's just all wrapped up into the culture um, in their in their town so, I didn't like, I don't know. I, I guess I don't expect religion to be the only issue when it comes to queerness. Um, I don't really know what the other issues are. I don't really pay attention to them very much. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the, um, the other issues might be other than just, you know, the image of perfection, I mean, we can get into the white supremacy of perfection, but I don't know that this is what this podcast is about. So <laughs> we'll um, put a pin in that for another time.
0: But this podcast can be about anything we want it to be. And I'm now very interested. What, what do you mean by that?
2: <laughs> um, part of the white supremacy culture is this idea of perfection. And so if it's not perfect, then we're not going to do it. Um, so the. You know, there are your regular normal um, images of perfection, the perfect family, the nuclear family, all of that stuff that's very whitewashed. But there's this insular uh, idea that um, even in anti-racist practices, uh, white people have a very hard time um, taking the next step in anti-racist work um, if it's not perfect. And so they get stuck um making things better or learning more or or practicing more um before they actually ever do anything and it it's it's the part of the system that keeps people from actually knocking down the walls of white supremacy
0: wow Th- i mean thank you that uh, that is rings very very true to me mm-hmm. so
1: and yeah. you see, and you see in a culture like this, which you mention is performative and has as a big part of it like judgment, right? like. And so you have consistently in here, um, yeah, judging and not being up, you know, the Abby takes the picture of the family, and Mary Steenbergen's character is just like, no 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 no. none of these will suffice to do right they all look gorgeous right (laughs) One (laughs) you know um but not you know none will do and i think about that like as opposed to uh the text that we get for today and this idea of like god has taken away the judgments against you you shall fear disaster no more you know all your shame will be turned into praise like um, you know, just what it means to live in a space where uh, you're not in fear of judgment or of the end or of things messing up and um, of being ridiculed. And, and meanwhile, like that is that's functioning at the highest level in this. And in fact, they're even enacting it in the small ways you think about the ice skating rink uh, when uh, Harper and Sloan end up turning their nice family outing with the kids, the ice skating rink into a racing match. And in a rink that has no room and space for it, really. But they no. need to, they need to once again for them to function as a family. They need to turn into something where there's judgment and competition and um, and yeah, the way that the, all the small ways that that's being enacted throughout the movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, so. I've been using the the gender inclusive Bible. Um, uh, in preparing for, for all of this and the language, obviously it does away with the he language, the male language for God. Um, it also does away with daughter Jerusalem, um, and, uh, and calls it fair Jerusalem, which is fascinating to me, but the line that you were talking about, Jed, um, of restoring, um, all of this grief into praise, uh, there's this, kind of section towards the end that I will rescue the lost and gather the dispersed and I will gather you and bring you home. And this sense of home and chosen family uh is a is the other thing that I think really pulls through this whole um this whole movie. Uh Harper at the end choosing, spoiler, choosing, choosing Abby, um, that that she says like you, you are my family. I choose you, you are my family and everything else is gonna come secondary, Um, that kind of shift is the shift that uh, breaks down the systems of perfection, breaks down the systems of competition, of consumerism and capitalism and stuff. Um, And I I think, you know, at the end that hope is, is restoration.
1: When you see the way her vulnerability too and finally acknowledging it opens it up for the others in the family too, right? It like, it leads the way and starts to like transform. (laughs) how they're so it's like oh not only is there hope of restoration of abby and harper's relationship but actually like a way forward for the family with things in a very advent way being brought into the light right (laughs) and even as there's there's like this rupture in the moment where um uh i don't even think it's in the moment where she's outed by her sister but it's in the moment when she chooses to claim to claim that like publicly with their family and that rupture uh can go many ways <laughs> but you know in this in this it has a very positive trajectory and any way it goes it's like it's bringing light and like given the possibility for like in way forward for a new home not only for the two of them as a couple but also there for the for the entire family Right, well, and
0: particularly for Jane, who, uh, you know, as I said, is my favorite character, because she is the one who has been dismissed by the system. And because she's been dismissed by the system, she's the one who, in a certain way, um, her change is the most dramatic, right? Like, she at the end, she's like the the author of this fantasy series, which she has successfully put forward, and she's been working on for years. So she's had in this whole performative world, like her role in the family is to fix the internet. So she is the one who might be the, the wire of connection to the outside world or to a a way of being different or living differently. Right. Um, But she's also had deep personal passions, which she's worked on for years, which everyone has just ignored. Like no one has been able to see. Um, And, when they come into the light uh you know it's not as if something in her is restored she's the only one who really isn't broken but it's it's the thing that restores um really the the story the ending the sense of the ending is this was in part jane's story all along where she just seemed to be comic relief on the side Maybe I'm making too much of it because I really like Mary Holland and I really I like her character. But.
2: No, I really like that. I think while, uh, while she may not have been broken, I think that that her relationships were broken. Her relationships needed restored because her relationships weren't ever really honored in the first place. Um, so there's, you know, there's honoring of relationships on all of the levels, uh, whether it's the queer relationship or the separated relationship, um, or the relationship with, with family dynamics, like only being Sloan only being seen good for having this beautiful family, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, this relationship that was actually never fully formed, uh, since what? Preschool was when she wouldn't stop biting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they
1: like, gave up on her, <laughs> up on Jade in preschool. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like I loved, I loved the ending and that her book hit. And then I, it's in the post credits, but I was a little bit sad. And you know, this this comes back a little bit to to some of the points you were getting at um, around the capitalist impulses and just around the impulse for success and perfection. But that in the post credits. With all the pictures that are going, and it's going through the mother's Instagram feed, that the father ends up winning the mayoral race,
0: yeah. And it was oh, I kind of nice. I liked yeah. the
1: idea that Jane was like, "Okay, you can lose your money, so you lost our savings. I got you on this." And that like, yeah. he, their family was going to be taken care of in a different way, and and to need to like rely on her and rely on each other in a different way and learn a new way forward. And so it was a small thing, but it's like, oh should have kept that as now the daughter, mm-hmm. now now the once outcast daughter is the one taking care of the parents.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of allows for the the capitalistic culture to consume the the queer relationships. Um mm-hmm. and like queer in the, in the broadest sense, like the alternative relationships or the the relationships that are outside of the traditional conservatism um it it allows that to to kind of take um kind of take that on as as one's you know token so yeah i was also kind of disappointed about about that but
0: it says that winning is still important right even though the the message of the movie really should be winning is not actually that important yeah Um, it's what you were saying about failure before Tamara. you know like let them fail a little bit Failure is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we haven't talked about Aubrey Plaza's character yet. And oh, Jen, yeah. I know from previous conversations, you 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 were you saying that you thought that Abby and, and, and Aubrey Plaza's character should be the ones who end up together. Yeah, like- and you
1: know her, I think her character's name is Riley, if I'm not mistaken. So I yeah, uh, uh, played okay. by Aubrey Plaza, yeah. and she is the um she is the ex-girlfriend of Harper from high school. Uh, who was similarly left hanging out to dry um, by by Harper and Pat in the past. And as her and Abby strike up a friendship, my first time watching it, so last year when watching it, I left very much like, mm, get get out of that unhealthy relationship. You know, that Zephaniah passage is all the language. Like, I want to rejoice over you with gladness, renew you with love, exalt you loud singing as a festival. Like, you need someone that's ready to do that publicly for you that is in that way with you um which which abby's character even mentions when she's in the gas station conversation with john where she says i'm ready to be with somebody who's who's ready (laughs) um and so i uh you know i left my first viewing very much like oh don't go back into that unhealthy place. <laughs> There's so much work that needs to be done there. So much excavation, so much deconstruction. Like that is a, like, that's just going to wear on you. Um, and after this, after this watch, uh, the second time here, I was struck much more that um, Riley's character, I think was much more supportive and watching out for, and was very much kind of a, a guide and a friend along the way. Even if there was some attraction, which would be natural in there, I think that I I was struck much less with her as a as an interest, a potential love interest in this one. And, and felt like she was she was much more uh yeah, much more there as a guide and a support and and seeing really that um Abby's wrestling was never with is there somebody else, <laughs> but right. rather like is is this person and Harper going to be willing to make the choices that need to be made for me to be able to be in relationship with her? It was it was strictly about Harper versus there being a really a love triangle.
2: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think uh I certainly agree with all of the the reviews that say like their chemistry with. Riley and Abby are just so much better. Um but uh but I do think that like if there were any interest in in Riley on Abby's part then that would actually break the integrity of mm-hmm. her commitment to to Harper and the commitment that you know even the betrayal is is the integrity of the betrayal would be um on on Harper's side would be minimized because um because there's this Distraction, you know, um, so I, I agree that their chemistry is great, but, um, but I also think that, that Riley just being the support system, um, along the way, like someone to kind of build some scaffolding and, and maybe not, um, let Abby fall all the way, uh, off the wheels is, is the better track, the better kind of interpretation of what's going on
0: i i'm not sure she's just a support system though i mean i like you know her story is in some ways really tragic and really says some awful things about harper right like the way harper treated her was disgusting and um damaging and it's in some ways, like, I don't know if she's already forgiven Harper. She seems very cynical about Harper throughout, right? Um, and yet, I don't remember her ever telling Abby to, to leave or to give up entirely. Instead, she was saying, here's, here's what's ha- what happened to me. This is what I learned about Harper from what happened to me. Y- you need to know who you are, who you're in love with. So her, I mean, in some ways she's kind of prophetic, right? Like she's uncovering. Actually, you know, uh, I, I just learned that like the, like apocalypse it literally means to uncover, right? So like, like somebody, like an apocalyptic character might be somebody who brings so much upset into life mostly by just uncovering what is hidden there. Um, and therefore everything becomes turned upside down or, or turned around. Um, so I don't, I don't know if she's supportive, actually. I think she's a, she's an instigator in a way, but not in a, not in a cruel way, in a revelatory way.
2: Well, I think support, not as like a cheerleader, but as a, as an honest, realistic, um, I mean, like you can, you can get your support from cheerleaders that could feel supportive, um, you know go, go, rah, rah, like you've got this, just stay in the game. Like, that's not what she's doing. That's not the kind of support I I'm thinking of. I, I'm thinking of the support of like processing the support of really opening up, um, what somebody's identity is. I think at some point when, uh, Riley and Abby are talking, um, I think it's at the party and Abby's just like, you know, when, when Harper's with me, she's this person and he or she's this completely other person. And I just don't know who she is. And Riley's like, she's, she's probably, she's both. Um, and so adding that complexity is um, you know, if you're going to add complexity to something, if, if you're like adding another layer of fibers, then that's actually going to strengthen. That's actually going to support the fabric. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's that kind of support it's, it's adding on the complex layers that are, that are building the strength of a fabric.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. So I just made it up of... so you
2: can take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's pretty good for off the top, off the dome. Um, so it's a kind of you stress, maybe the distress, right? Like it's definitely not easy. Like there are pressures being put in place by her, but they're the kind of pressures that will hold Abby up rather than letting her fall or fall apart.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: you, I like that.
1: Let's go with that. You, you mentioned... No, no, I like yeah, I like yours a huge amount, too. <laughs> yes. You mentioned the scaffolding earlier. Um, and I have to say my one major complaint with believability in the movie isn't anything to do with the Hallmark family Christmas mayoral campaign, really, but it has to do with the fact that they were painting outdoors in December you can't paint under 35 degrees this is Pittsburgh look how cold they were so you know
2: that they climbed up at the beginning
1: to help them climb up for the nice rooftop chat at which (laughs) at which point I will say there is a lot I think there is a lot of chemistry in that first night and you feel it and when Harper asked Abby, he said I want to wake up on Christmas next to you like I was yeah. like, oh, I want to wake up with Christmas next to you. Who's saying that to me? Like, <laughs> that's a great line. And um, so I just like I think that was very much there. But then immediately when she wakes up the next day, and you kind of get her waking up in bed by herself, Harper, and realizing what she's the ball that she's gotten rolling. Um, like that coldness begins. And that part where she is then right at that moment, she begins being both people that Riley says that she is. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, she was, um, Abby was, was dating two people then at that point. (laughs) And I think that's then you you lose that chemistry because boy, like when shame is functioning, when judgment is functioning, and the way that it drives the wedges within as we start to operate out of secrets and half truths or, you know, taking off the mask partially like she does to go, here's, here's the truth of my family. But she didn't really take it all the way off. (laughs) And so then she's even discovering that as it goes. And I think those questions that begin to come up for you in relationships of, oh, um, if this person can lie to others about who she is and about who I am, you know, where's, where's my trust in terms of who they are communicating with me, who they are. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, I thought that that piece built to an actual honest narrative arc that would cause, um, that would cause Abby to choose to leave and to break it off, which I don't think that we often get in rom-coms. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought this one did a pretty did a pretty good job of that. As much as it takes on every single other trope possible, you know, the goofy yeah, brother, right. sister, the exes show up to get jealous about, you know, the parents, the secret, the all, you know, all of the pieces.
2: The disastrous party, yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: <laughs> I think though, Jed, you just revealed something about that ex. So throughout throughout the movie, Harper's high school boyfriend. Connor, yeah, I think, is kind of um, loitering around, like getting invited to dinner by the parents and things, and and one of the things that keeps happening is Abby will ask, will be like, well, you told me that story about when you were seventeen at like being at the lake, but you didn't tell me Connor was there, and Harper's response will be like, well, that's not important, right? But and it's not important because her emotional life did not include him, right? Like she, in her high school year, she was already kind of divided, living this divided life. Um, And what is, what's devastating, I think, about that scene where she wakes up alone in bed and, and realizes she's going to have to go to her family with her girlfriend, is that now Abby is part of that divided life, right? Like suddenly Abby is being treated just like Connor, like, except, I mean, the opposite. Like, Connor Connor was part of the the show, the performance, and not part of the emotional life. And Abby is part of the emotional life, but not the performance. And yet that same division is there. Um, it's, just, it's just really, really sad. I don't know. What, I don't have much to add to it besides how sad it is. No. Uh-uh.
2: <laughs> well if we're leaning on zephaniah <laughs> then uh i i really love the the kind of soothing those who are grieving so mm-hmm. i think we can you know eventually soothe you and your grieving carl <laughs> so um, but this uh <laughs> like rejoicing over you and being being glad and um who will show you love once more and uh this this restoration again of um but but more than restoration, I think just this comfort of, of soothing the grief. Um, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't actually think that like we're really good in the church about soothing the grief or restoring from grief. I think we're very good at doing the performance at, um, Mm. and this, this isn't fair, you know, Broad strokes, but I think that the church is just really good in celebrating and is really good at at masks and really good at um, at at bringing the celebration even even in the grief. Uh, and sometimes I think it's just really easy for us to push the grief back instead of holding the grief outright. And I think um, that soothingness of of grief and being celebrated. Um, not, not apart from the grief, grief, but within the grief, uh, is, is the difference that we're looking for. Um, both I think in the movie and I think in our religious lives and I think in our everyday lives of being able to hold grief and celebration in the same hand, rather than having to hide your grief. Um, I like, I like that, you know, when everything comes in the movie, when everything comes to light, um, there's there's this public grief. It's not behind closed doors. It's not, it's no longer, you don't get the option anymore to, to hide that grief. Um, and then that grief is dealt with kind of publicly, though I, you know, I kind of, it was like in front of everybody that that Harper was exposed and like she like cowered it away and and said no and, and denied herself. And then it was kind of like back with the family that it was final like safe enough to to be honest. Um, so I but I think the Instagram reel kind of like helps that um, well, I don't actually know that I can agree with myself right now. <laughs> the Instagram reel, sorry, um, like brings the celebration again, right? Like the the public sphere is is all about celebration, and then all of the grief, like that's just dealt with behind closed doors. So I don't know. I I I thought I was you know about to say that I I think that holding that grief in the public sphere is is great, and then I I don't actually know that they did that, <laughs> but um.
0: Yeah, I don't know that they did that either, and and I think again it goes to our discomfort with the fact that the dad is actually elected mayor, right? Because it it goes again to perfection, like perfection is still upheld by this film, which has a lot of good things to say, and yet there is a there is not enough of a challenge to that ideology um, at the heart of it. At least that's what I hear us say.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm struck just thinking about what it means right now uh, to be a to be a priest in the Episcopal church and to be uh, a straight white male priest in the Episcopal Church that does a pretty good job of celebrating that, oh yeah, we're the open and inclusive ones. we're the affirming ones you know all are welcome you know all caps exclamation point right and like you know celebrating that we can do a good job of patting ourselves on the back of that in sermons and finding ways to say in an ecumenical events to set ourselves up and i i wonder for me there's a question that i'm left with to think about and wrestle with is also what does it mean to continue to also hold the space for grief in the church's relationship with the queer community and to hold room for grief for those who are still wrestling and working out what it means to come out and to find a home and even whether it's in their own homes or even to find a home in the church and to build trust uh, in a space where they've probably been told to lie about who they are at times, even, even in affirming places. Um, yes. And so, so there's there's some that raises some good wrestling for me coming out of. So I appreciate that insight, Tamara.
0: Me too. Well, guys, I'm afraid to say this, but my uh, four o'clock just texted me to say they're here early. (laughs) So I think I need to, I think we need to wrap it
1: up. And that's a good last thought, I think,
0: Chad. So is it okay if we move to the, to the outro? outro? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, our closing question um, that we have, Tamara, is that we've been asking throughout this series, uh, our Advent series, Films in the Wilderness, is, is this a movie that you would bring with you into the wilderness?
2: I don't know I would bring Dan Levy with me anywhere in the world <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it has some some good uh, some good things to hold on to in the wilderness um, so if 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 I'm not capped at what I can bring into the wilderness then yes I will take this along <laughs> just don't make me choose. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for some reason this Advent, I'm playing this game where I've I've convinced myself I can only take one of these movies of the four we watch. I don't know why I've done this, but I have, um, and I I don't think this is the one either. Like I I love it a lot, and I really love comedy. Like comedy to me is like the soul's balm, you know. When I'm most tired or pissed off or sad, comedy is what I need, right? To to set me back up. Um, so maybe for that reason, I might want to take it. But I think in truth, uh, if if I had to take one of the four, this, this probably wouldn't be it, even though I
1: like it. How about you, Jed? Uh, I, I found myself liking this movie a whole lot more after the second watch. And Kristen oh. Stewart's performance, who I genuinely like, love her as an actress, and I just want her in more rom-coms. I think she's great in this. Yeah. Best actor of, of her generation. And absolutely. Say. And watching this after just watching Spencer this last week, oh, where she plays Lady Diana, it was like, well, wow, she's just a great actress. This is a whole different movie. So it's genius. I, I no think because I yeah. of her in this one, I'm tilting to yes.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Well... Thank you for listening to film in the Wilderness. Our theme music is provided by the great Brianna Kelly. We are so grateful for the support of the Diocese of Southern Ohio, and especially for the work and support of Emma Steinmetz, Christopher Richardson, and Jason Odin, And Tamara, we're really grateful to you for joining us today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for asking me to be here. Thanks, Tamara. Thanks, Tamara. Thank you.